Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 360 Podcast. Fascinating conversations with interesting people, and I am your host, Tim Brahim. And today, I am really excited to welcome a dear friend, someone who I admire and respect greatly into this podcast, no one other than Craig Strent. Craig is the CEO and co-founder of Apex Home Loans and is now in charge of sales and production for Celebrity Home Loans. He graduated from the American University School of Business with a bachelor's degree in science uh, in business administration. Craig lives in Bethesda, Maryland with his wife, Amy, and his two sons, Oliver and Sammy, and his two dogs, Pavarotti and Butters. In his free time, Craig is an avid roller hockey fan. He's a huge hockey fan in general, loves to hike the local trails in and around the Potomac River, travel the world, and he is an avid student of history, uh, and in particular, politics. For more than 15 years, Craig has been consistently ranked as one of the top 1% of mortgage bankers nationwide and has been named among the most influential mortgage executives in America. Craig holds a Certified Mortgage Planning Specialist designation, also known as CMPS, um, which, which speaks to his mortgage planning expertise in working with financial advisors to tailor a mortgage that complements long-term financial goals. And we're going to get into that today. We're going to get into talking about some, some diversification and referral sources as a mortgage professional, for sure. This is a unique skill among mortgage bankers. It requires extensive training in the area of taxation, estate planning, and financial planning. Over the years, Craig has been recognized as a subject matter expert and has garnered both national and local attention for his adept understanding of the mortgage, cons uh, mortgage industry and housing market. He's provided commentary on NBC Nightly News, CNBC, News Channel 8 in Maryland, and Fox Morning News, and his writing has appeared in several notable publications, including the Washington Business Journal. A couple of interesting facts about Craig that uh, you may not know if you are someone who is, who is acquainted with Craig uh, from the past. Um, he was on the lawn of the White House press as a press intern for the Middle East peace signing between uh, Rabin and Arafat. He was a, in fact, Craig back in the day, way back in the day, was an intern in the White House under the Clinton administration. Another thing that I think is an interesting fact is he attended four different schools between sixth and ninth grade due to his parents' divorce. Uh, and I'm gonna dive into that with him in a moment and, and talk to him a little bit about how that might've affected his childhood and, and, and what he used from that learning to, to cultivate a tremendous business success. Uh, so without further ado, my interview with Craig Strent. What's up, brother? <laughs> hey, Timmy. How are you, man? Good, how are you? Good, good. You're in the red room. The famous red room of the uh, Strent home. I am. This is my Abraham Lincoln themed office. Oh boy, yeah. We're gonna. I, in the intro, I talked a little bit about how uh, you have a fascination towards American history and uh, have a little history as, uh, as an intern in the White House and all that kind of stuff. So we'll probably dive into that in a little bit. But let's just have some fun, man. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. Um, thank you for being here. So right out of the gate, I guess you know my first question for you is. Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about how long you've been in the business for. Give us a quick little 50,000 footer. How long you've been slinging loans and been in the mortgage biz? 1994, which was one of the worst job markets in 30 years coming out of college. I went into the mortgage business uh, for no other reason than a fraternity brother was in it and he was doing well. Uh, and if he could do it, then I figured I could do it uh, maybe even better. So uh, when in 94, I started out doing subprime uh, consumer direct 
for three and a half years, which was a great way to learn because you require persistence and lots of follow-ups. I learned great follow-up skills and sales skills and overcoming objections and all that before starting my own company uh, in 1998, uh, back then a mortgage brokerage called Apex Home Loans. Uh, just two guys started in a hallway with some dead flies on the ground and some orange carpet sharing a fax and a computer. And uh, we built that into 2010 mortgage brokerage. And in 2010, uh, we doubled down when the market was going the other way. I've always been a contrarian in business and the market was going the opposite way. We decided to go from broker to banker, uh, brought in a couple more partners, recapitalized, started expanding the company to uh, where Apex Home Loans uh, is today. And recently, uh, Apex Home Loans was acquired by Celebrity Home Loans. So we started the company from scratch built it all up, made a great company, won a lot of awards along the way. And then uh, now we jumped in with our friends at Celebrity Home Loans uh, and are on a whole new journey together. You know, I didn't realize that we had such a paralleled situation. I mean, I started in 92, but, you know, I was in the business in 94. Remember it well, man. How about, I mean, how about nine and a half on a 30 year? That's what I was selling back then. Nine and a half, dude. Like that was, I remember rates dropped to like eight. And everybody was like going bananas because there were mm. refi opportunities. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's a kind of an environment where we had to grow up really fast, right? I mean, we had to learn how to like scratch and claw to get deals. And I think we should talk a little bit about that. But I love this this thought that you just brought forward about being a contrarian. Let's let's just let's just go there for a second. I mean, you know, right now this is being recorded in you know the, the late winter of two thousand and twenty two, and and you know we've got a lot of talk about inflation, you know. We got a lot of talk about the Fed hiking anywhere between, say, four and seven times this year. Would you be doubling down right now? I mean, what, what, what would you be doing right now if you were, if you were, well, you still are doing loans. So what are you doing, actually? I mean, actually, before you go there, just real quick, tell us how many loans, what was your dollar volume last year? In 2021, I was at one, God, I, you know, my team has taken over a lot of my production. I sort of forget. I think it was about one. Uh, 125 or so last year. The year before that was at 195. And I mean, just to put it in perspective for everybody, I mean, I mean, 190, 195 million, 125 million, it's all great, right? Anything over 100 million is awesome. You're running a company, you're in the process of selling a company, which is obviously a very time consuming experience. You're leading a, a company. How many people work for Apex? About 150. Yeah, 150 people that you're responsible for. And you still did those production numbers. So we're going to dive in and unpack like how you set that up and you know, like the maturation process of growing your team and making yourself, you know, um, less needed on the team structure and still being able to have the machine run. But let's go back to the contrarian thing. Sorry to fork in the road there. Tell us a little bit more about that, the, about the thought process of being contrarian. When, when, when the shit hits the fan and times get tough, what's your thought process? My, my business partner, my longtime business partner, Eric Gates, uh, often quotes a, an investor who says that it's, it's better to win alone than lose in company. Uh, but most people prefer to lose in company. Uh, and so they follow the herd when it comes to everything else. It's like the old story that if you're, if you're a hairdresser and, you're, and you're, uh, you're, you're boot scrubber or you're, your shoe shiner are telling you to buy a stock, it's probably time to sell and go the other way. So looking at where everything is going and figuring out the opposite way to go is something that we've tried to capitalize on as a company. It's very hard in the mortgage business, which is a hyper-cyclical business, but we've been around long enough to know that opportunities are going to come. So you've got to plan for them. You don't know the duration between great markets, but you know that great markets are going to come and go. And if you want to maximize on those markets, you really need to be prepared ahead of time, not once you're in there. Yeah, right. I mean, like that's, that's the, I, I've said for a long time, I'm sure you've heard me say this. It's like, 
in a market that's a transitioning market, it's he or she who pivots fastest to the next sell or the next, you know, the next product opportunity, the, the new script that's needed that has the success because everybody else is stuck in lead boots and they're still selling the same thing, 30 year fix, 15 year fix. I mean, you know, anybody that's been in the business the last seven years, that's probably the only product they've sold in the last seven years. They've got that script down, but that script doesn't work anymore when rates are going up and you need to get other scripts down. So actually let's go into scripting because a little side story for, for those that, um, that don't know this. So I have this coaching program, Leadership 360. We have two retreats a year in our master's program. In that program, we have this really cool process that we call Scriptapalooza. And it's a, it's a well, we, we keep evolving it. So I don't even know what it is anymore, but it's basically sales objections live and you compete against a competitor and it's like an NCAA tournament format. And then you have a winner who, who wins that, that event Scriptapalooza. And Craig is always, how many times have you won it? Once or twice? I won the first one. You won the first one, but you're always in like the finals. I mean, you're always right there. And, and this is like on the fly scripting, right? You don't know, you're not, you don't have any time to prepare for it. You draw the, the objection out of a fishbowl and, and there it is. And you've got to like lay it out in front of 40 people that are standing there and it's a bit nerve wracking and, and all that. I mean, it's intense. Um, so scripting is important, isn't it? And what I want to know is like, tell me about your, like your feelings about the importance of scripting. I mean, I always used to say that, you know, you know, scripting is, is, is everything. I mean, it's the words that come out of your mouth have everything to do with your success. Um, but how important is it to you in your mind? And how did you become so well scripted? Like, is there a process that you went through? And what would you say to somebody listening who really needs to get better at scripting? What advice do you have? There's a lot there. I mean, practice. You got all kinds sure. of time. So, so keep going. Practice for sure. I mean, you know, you know, I learned uh, in, 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 in training programs, you know, um, I reference uh, some friends over at Zinix who former fighter pilots before, before you go on your, on your bombing run, you got to pick your targets. You got to know where you're going. You got to check your flight plan. You got to do everything ahead of time. It's the same thing here. Why should we just be winging it on the sales side? The more we know about what might happen, the more we know about what our goals of the conversation are, the more we know about what objections are going to come up on the other side. And the, and the, and the more we could think about how, can we assuage the concerns of the potential person that we're trying to help, the more successful we're going to be as a result. So in terms of scripting, um, I think the best thing to do is to learn from others and then practice on your own as well. And when I was coming up in the business, I listened to folks, Tim, as you know, like you, I had all these CDs in my car in my 35 minute commute. And I would listen to all kinds of mortgage people to and from work. And they would talk about objections they were overcoming, marketing plans, business plans. I was investing time in myself by listening to those that have been successful, swiping and adopting, certainly a core value for me in building my business and learning what others are doing successfully. And then, and this is important, I would practice overcoming those objections out loud. I think when you speak out loud versus saying, what am I going to say if the guy asks me what's the rate and I don't have the lowest rate? But if you could say out loud over and over, Here's how I'm going to overcome that. You can play around with the language and you learn by hearing yourself speak. So knowing where you want to go. And one of the things that for me works uh, well in Scriptapalooza, so I'll, I'll give away my, my sort of scripting you know, uh, strategy here, is I think about where I want the conversation to go. So if somebody has an objection that's on the sales side, I already know where I want this sales conversation to go. Well, all I have to do once I hear the objection is build the bridge to where I want to go. 
And that's not that difficult to do. So if I know what my value proposition, and for me, it might be my, my mortgage under management program and my total home program and my life cycle of home ownership support and all the comprehensive services that I provide. I know that I want to get to that. And I know going into the conversation that they're going to ask me about rate and closing costs. So, and that's the reason they're asking me that is because they're asking everybody else that, and those are the only two questions they know to ask. So what I have to do is expect those questions and then build the bridge to where I want to take them in terms of how my process is different than what they're, than what they're seeking initially. Okay. So then let's, let's test that out. Let's just do it right now live. So um, I'm going to throw out an objection and build a bridge and take us to your value prop. Let's see. I wasn't expecting a script of Palooza here. Well, it just, you know, you never know where this is going to go. In fact, I, you never know where this is going to go. And to prove that point, let me, let me just show you what I mean when I say you never know this is where this is going to go. I'm going to share my screen for a second. And um, I just would like to know what was happening here. Like, what, what is this? Where did you get that? Oh, did I, I send this? I, I don't, I don't know, but this looks like a mashup between like uh, pretty and pink and a Bronx tail. I don't know. What is this? I mean, that, that was the, a, uh, that was definitely that? No. a little bit of a, that was a Guido phase on Long Island in high school. You can see my, my flipped over Jabot belt there, Jabot pants and my, my belt. Uh, and that's my older brother, Mark. And uh, we were definitely in a different stage then. Yeah, you are. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't look at that anymore. Let's get back to the scripting. All right. So here's the objection, right? I'm just gonna, I'm not going to give you something ridiculously hard, but I'm not going to give you a layup either. You know, um, I've got other lenders that I'm talking to. Um, one of them I've worked with before um, and they did a great job for me. And their rates appear to be at least as good as yours, if not a little bit better. Um, so I, I, I don't think that I'm going to end up going with you. Um, why should I go with you? That's a great question. And I think you're intelligent to ask it. And most people uh, do start out by asking about interest rate. At the end of the day, when we look at surveys that come back and feedback, what we find is that very few people in the end make their inevitable decision based on rate. And if you take a look at our surveys, send you a link for that as well, you'll, you'll see that evidence played out. And I encourage you to do that. What I would offer to you is that you might be comparing just a rate to something that is entirely different. And what we do at Apex is we support the entire life cycle of home ownership. And that, that doesn't just involve what most mortgage people do, which is just the transactional part in the middle, but it involves the upfront piece. It involves a detailed analysis that takes into consideration the short and long-term financial planning goals that you have. I want to know if you're maxing out your 401k that's sponsored by your employer. I want to know if you've already paid for college for your children. I want to know if the right insurance policies are already in place for you. I want to know what holes there are on your financial plan, and I want to use the mortgage as a tool. I want to take that liability side of the balance sheet and leverage it to help you shore up your asset side of the balance sheet. So that's what my mortgage structure will do. It's a lot more than a rate. And once you get into process, you'll see a major difference with us and other lenders. It sounds like you've been through the process before. Uh, my team has a written perfect loan process. And as you're asking other people for rates and closing costs, I would suggest you ask them for their process as well. If they don't have a written process, that's going to guarantee that they deliver a really great borrowing experience for you. You might want to ask why not? 
Don't we want to know every, everything that could possibly come up ahead of time? After all, you're putting a $25,000 earnest money deposit I see here, and I know that you've beat out multiple other offers to get this home, and I know that you have no contingencies for your financing as a, and appraisal as is common in this market. So we need to make sure, guaranteed, that you're going to close on time, but also clean. So <clears throat> that's the middle part. And then finally, this is the most important part. Most mortgage people, you don't hear from them after things close. That's just when our relationship begins. With our mortgage under management program, you're going to make sure you never overpay on your mortgage. We're going to set an auto lock target so we know exactly where savings can occur and where we should refinance. We're then going to monitor that for you on an automated basis, pulling in daily rates and your credit criteria. And we're going to send you a quarterly rate watch so we know what's going on at all times. We're also going to connect you with lots of other things. Our homeowner uh, digest through something called HomeBot that we use that will always let you know what's going on with your equity and how you can manage it, among so many other great tools that I'd be happy to cover with you. Money. I mean, there's so many, there's so many things to unpack there that we could probably do the rest of the podcast just on that script. But I want to touch upon a couple that I think are incredibly important. I want to rewind all the way back to the beginning. So I have this vision of you with that belt on driving in your car when you're like 23 years old, talking to yourself, doing your scripting in the car on your way to work. And it's just hilarious to me. But what I used to do was something very similar. Okay. But it was in a, in, in a different, a different genre. So when I first started in the business, you know, one of the things that, that I recognized right away, bro, was that like, I need to get a lot of at bats. Okay. I mean, that's actually the biggest problem for somebody that is in a market that's transitioning, you know, like right now, like in this current environment, things have slowed down. And if you don't have a lot of at-bats, you don't have a lot of time to practice the script. You don't have a lot of time to practice the objections. So in your case, you're practicing it in your car after listening to probably Jim McMahon and Greg Frost and all those, those legendary guys from back in the day. Yes. And, and I, I accomplished the same thing. I also listened to those guys, but I accomplished the same thing by cranking up my marketing. Now that can be scary in a, in a down market when people are like, Hey, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from, but it's like, what, what business do you know of that's successful that doesn't reinvest a certain percentage of their revenues back into creating more business? But see, that's a critical mistake. A lot of loan originators make is that they, they won't spend money until they have the money, but you need to spend money on your business to, to build that foundation. So we had a telemarketing. And, and, yeah. and bro, those that have the money now from being really successful in the last 18 to 24 months are now going into scarcity because they don't have as much pipeline. Instead of investing that money, yes. they're holding it back. Yes, correct. So so when, when the shit hit the fan in 94, that's when we started a telemarketing operation. And it started with one telemarketer who would come in three days a week from like five o'clock until nine o'clock and, and dial. And I'd come into my office the next day and there'd be, you know, four sheets of paper sitting there on my desk of different people that he talked to. And I would call those people and I had to sell that negative amortization, uh, 11th district cost of funds index that nobody knew how to sell. But I finally figured out how to sell it because I got enough objections and I, and I tweaked and adjusted and modified to where I got to the point where people were like, yes. And I was able to do five loans a month, which back then was a lot because as you know, when rates were at nine and a half, doing five loans a month was like, that was huge. Okay. So that's one thing that I want to really emphasize is that both of us practiced a lot in our, in our own way, but like, uh, and then, you know, when we ramped one last thing, when we ramped, like when we we're in 95, 96, I would go upstairs at, we had scaled it. We had 13 telemarketers upstairs in a bullpen and they would have direct transfers into my headset until 930 at night. You know, 
I used to tell people all the time, like I may be 27 years old, but I have the experience of a 40 year old loan officer because I've taken more calls than anybody that I know. Like, I mean, I just was taking tons of calls and getting better and better and better as a result of all those at bats. The other thing that I want to point out that, that Craig talked about, you know, that I'm a huge, you know, passionate, passionate person about when it comes to scripting is he set up his competition. And what I mean by that is this, is that he knows damn well that if you ask anybody else, do you have a written process that I can take a look at so I can understand exactly how this experience is going to look for me? That 99% of the people are going to be like, I don't. So he just sabotaged his competition. He gave that person the tools of what to ask for. He, he loaded their gun, so to speak, of, of how to create a negative experience in that dialogue with that other competitor because he has something that nobody else has. And then finally, the last part, which as you know, I'm a huge fan of is setting up the next deal. So I want to talk about that for a minute. So like, that's, that was my bread and butter. Like my loan, just, you're, you know, my job just begins when your first loan closes with me from there. It's my job to assist you in managing the largest indebtedness you'll ever take on your life. Most people that do what I do for a living, just provide the debt and walk away. I don't make that mistake. When you, when rates drop, we're going to, we're going to seek to lower the cost of your debt. My question to you is, What's the, what's the me mechanism? Because I think you could use some really amazing things with how you proactively communicate to your borrowers where their mortgage debt is right now compared to the market. What, what's the tools that you use for that? Use a, a post-closing call. And I, I, I'm going to give you that in one sec. I, I do want to call out something, Tim, on the value prop that you said at the beginning in that we know that a certain percentage of people buy on rates. It's less than 15%. I was once told it was 15% years ago. I think it's more now with the millennial population, but it's, it's still a small number comparatively. So what I would offer to loan officers out there is the sooner you figure out if you're talking to someone who's going to buy exclusively on the basis of rate, the better off you are. So get right to it and understand it because then you can move on. There's enough people, as Seth Godin would say, that you want to find the smallest viable audience for what you offer. And there's enough people out there to do that. So the sooner you know that somebody's not right for you, the better. Don't try to be something that, that you're not. So to your question, what we do is a post-closing call. And on that call, we, we take a look. We come prepared, of course. We take a look at the mortgage we just got them. And we figure out what's the right break even for a refi. You know, maybe, maybe two years or so. Uh, and they save $300. It's going to cost them this much money. They'll break even in two years. And we offer that as a solution. We say, you know, Tim, we just finished the refinance. Rates are here. I'm not saying they're ever going to go back down enough for it to make sense for you to refinance. But if rates got to this point, you would save $300 a month and your break even would be about 24 months, which is about the longest we'd like to see it. Would you like us to give you a call and, and alert you that an opportunity exists if that happens so we can move forward? Typically, they say yes, or they say, you know what? I don't want to go through this again unless I could say 400. Great. Let's make it 400 a month or whatever the number is. And, and we land on that number. We gain verbal agreement, verbal contract that says, yes, if we get to this, you would like to move forward. We then put it into our uh, pricing engine with their specific criteria, credit score, all that stuff, uh, loan to value. And we get notified when it happens, if it happens. And sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes rates will drop significantly as they did in March of 2020. And I could get 50 of these in one day. It could happen. It has happened. But sometimes you won't get any for months. The point is, I already know where on the rate drop scale things are going to be active, and I can sort of track ahead of that. Additionally, I send out quarterly reports. This is something that I've done for almost 20 years and is super important and I think really separates us. I send a mailed physical report. Nobody mails anything anymore, and I think that's a miss. I mail a report 
to uh, print it out, comes out of my, my CRM, <coughs> window envelope, live stamp, foil seal, looks very nice, says your Rate Watch report is enclosed. Clients get it every single quarter for 20 plus years. And sometimes they'll say to me when I talk to them during an annual review, why do you, why do you send this to me all the time? It never makes sense for me to refinance. And incidentally, I usually write a note, looking good now, doesn't make sense. Just like you said before, Tim, most loan officers let go when the loan is over, but I don't make that mistake. I manage the largest debt. This is me managing that debt. And so I am building credibility by telling them every quarter, doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense. And then as rate starts to drop, looking better, looking better. Meanwhile, every month I'm in front of them and I drop some marketing message into the letter as well. And then if I finally say, hey, the rate has hit, now it makes sense to refinance, there is no discussion at this point. It's a, it's a presumptive close. I already have complete credibility, and that's why my numbers really spike uh, during refi periods as well. So somebody told me a long time ago, you, you pay the bills on purchases and you retire on refis. So you just got to get as many purchases as you can and then hang in there and really clean up in the other markets as well. Whoever told you that's brilliant, okay? So I've never heard that before, but whoever said that is brilliant. I, I, it drives me bananas when I hear loan originators say, I'm not, I don't do refis. I only focus on purchases. That's just a gigantic miss. First of all, you're not doing your client you're not doing a good job for your client if you're not focusing on managing their debt, period, end of story. Secondly is that presumptive close is super important. I don't want anybody to lose sight of what he just did. He made verbal contracts with these people when he closed that first loan. So it's not a phone call that's like, hey, um, I've got some new numbers for you. Would you like to talk about refine? No, no, no. It's like, hey, remember what we talked about? We got it. We're moving forward. Okay. And people just roll over when you make the decision for them. Lastly, sell the big numbers. Okay. It may only be $200 a month. That doesn't sound exciting. $2,400 a year sounds great. Okay. 12,000, whatever it is, $12,000 a year, I believe time over five years sounds even better. You know, th those, those are the things that get people to take action and move, move the needle a bit. So I'm going to, I'm going to pivot because I go ahead. Uh, and, and that does go the other way. So if you're fighting on a deal and there's a savings and the other person's savings is 30 and they say the payments can be $30 less, break it out. $30 less minus the tax benefit at 38% is this month. And then divided by 12, it's this month. And then, and then you take it to the week. So basically you're going to leave me over $2.87 a week, which is not even a cup of coffee, right? So get it granular where you want to make it big the other way. We could save you $27,300 over the life of the loan, whatever the number is. When you're fighting for a deal with savings, take it down to the lowest possible uh, amount to show that the difference is minuscule. Yeah, the eighth and rate. Okay, like this is a line that I used to use. Okay, I don't even know if you've ever heard this script from me, but like that eighth and rate after tax, to your point, let's say it's $17 a month, okay, which is you know roughly $200 a year. So my statement would be like, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is $200 a year, okay, which I don't ever want to make light of saving money. I'm, I'm big on saving money in my personal life and for all my clients. But we have to weigh out, will you spend that money on aspirin curing all the headaches that you're going to get from working with somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing and doesn't have a process that's going to make this efficient and quick? And what other costs might you incur as a result of them not doing their job as professionally as my team and I will? Okay, so we're going to get to team in a minute. I'm going to ask you another question in a moment, but I want to dive in because you mentioned Seth Godin. I wanted to ask you a question about that. So like one of the things I love about you, you know, you're always sending me emails all the time from Seth. Um, quotes from Ronald Reagan, Abraham Lincoln. I, I love how you are inspired. You're a student, man. Like that's one of the things that I think is just 
a really precious thing about you is that you're always learning, you're always growing. And I think that's why you're great at what you do. So I mentioned three people that I know that are heroes of yours, Reagan, Lincoln, Godin. What have they each taught you? Tell me, tell us a little bit about those three men and what you've learned from them. I'll start with Seth Godin. Um, he is a master marketer. I mean, by the way, if you Google Seth, you get Seth Godin. Like that's how long he's been <laughs> marketing and how much street cred he has. His daily blog is incredible. He's been doing it for years. I mentioned earlier, he talks about finding the smallest viable audience that wants your product. I think that's super important. Loan officers, be the loan officer you want to be. Don't go in without a plan and just take any loan that comes at you. If you want to be the guy that does reverse, if you want to be the construction perm guy, if you want to be the guy like me that works with financial advisors and divorce lawyers, that's great. Be that person. Get the education, get the knowledge, invest in yourself, and then find the smallest viable audience that will support the production and income level you want. And when people don't fit into that audience, then you know, decide whether or not you're going to work with those people or whether you're going to move on to others. So I really like that Seth says that. Seth also talks a lot about fixed costs. Just because you've spent a lot of money trying to do something and it's still not working doesn't mean you have to keep going down that path. A fixed cost that's done is a sunk cost. And the likelihood of success in what you're pursuing is not greater just because you've already spent a lot before. So he does talk about you know failing forward and failing a lot and doing it quickly and learning from it. So those are all some big takeaways that I've taken from him. And to, to be something different, my wife always jokes about the book that he has that I love called Purple Cow. And Purple Cow is, is about having a blue ocean strategy, about being something that others are not. For me, that's my, you know, the financial advisor referral system I developed, which goes after the financial advisor niche. I believe that's a blue ocean strategy. Other people aren't doing it. That's different than everybody calling the same realtor. So Seth really drives home uh, unique, different, is it worth doing? The final thing that I love about him is he says, ship it. What he means by that is do not let great be the enemy of good. So many times we don't do the mailer or we don't do this, we don't go to this place, or we don't call this person, or we don't execute on this group because it's not perfect. We don't think it's ready. I believe in continuous improvement. It's one of my core values in my company, the Japanese principle of Kaizen, which means basically ship it, put it out there, deliver it, my perfect loan process, version one, get it on paper, and then improve it always, always as you go. I'm on version 30-something of my perfect loan process. So that's the Seth Godin piece. I want to unpack Kaizen a little bit more. In fact, why don't we just do that right now? So if you okay. want to go a little deeper with that, that's important, I think, for people to hear, because I know that you're that it's how it's how you manage both your, your business and your personal life in a lot of ways, right? Is that continuous improvement part. But before we do, I just want to highlight, you know, yeah, I see so many loan originators who just prepare to sell and prepare to sell and prepare to sell and prepare to market, prepare to build a team, and they never do it. And it's like you can't be afraid of not doing it perfect. You know, as you said, don't let, you know, great be the enemy of good. You know, I mean, like get out there and that's, you, know, you got to get in the game and test and adjust accordingly. That's how I did it. That's how you did it. Did it. That's how all the, all the friends that we have that are superstar originators. And we have a lot of them at this point, we all did it that way. Right. So Kaizen, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. And to that note, Tim, I think it's fun to call out. It's not a perfect loan process, actually. It's a good loan process. Perfect is the destination. Mine was perfect, but that's, you know. <laughs> Kaizen is the Japanese kind of, Kaizen is the Japanese business principle of continuous improvement. I was sitting in 
uh, senior year class on uh, business leadership at the American University. And Professor Richard Lenoz, who had worked a lot in Japan, uh, was talking about this, how we're each trying to improve as we go and how it's never over. Um, whatever process you're working in, whatever product you're working on, there's always more that could be done to improve it. And the minute you fall behind is the minute you get run over and you almost need to cannibalize yourself. It's the, it's the idea of if it's not broken, break it, make it better, build it back up. Because if we don't, somebody else is right behind us trying to do that. So we got to break our own stuff and make it better on a constant basis. And for me, that very much applies to my core principles in business as how I've tried to build Apex and what I'm bringing to celebrity home loans now. And as you mentioned, um, on a personal level, I'm not, you know, I'm not where I want to be personally. And I would say that I'm not where I want to see business. I don't think I'll ever get there because I think holding yourself to always wanting to do better is, is good for growth. When you get out of your comfort zone and you try to make that comfortable, that's where the real magic and the real growth happens. And I believe in that strongly. So on a personal level, I'm always trying to improve myself personally. I fail at it plenty, just like everybody else. Uh, but I learn a lot along the way. And I do start my day, as you know, with sort of a, a miracle morning. And I, I make sure that I get my exercise in. I love hiking outside and being in nature with my dogs. Um, I like to read in the morning, um, Seth Godin and my daily blogs that I get before I get into a headspace where I have to work. And I think it's super important. Um, I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday, who talks a lot about this. I think it's super important to carve out time or yourself in the morning before you approach your day and look at your phone. Well, hello, friends, and I hope that you're enjoying this episode of the 360 Experience podcast. To listen to the remainder of this episode, please visit us at The Loan Atlas, where you will also find the most comprehensive resource for mortgage professionals to build their practice, backed by the greatest faculty that's ever been assembled in the mortgage industry. Check us out at the link below or go to theloanatlas.com. Look forward to having you as a guest on our next episode of the 360 Experience Podcast.